I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. And it came about that when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John in prison heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall I look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the, blame, the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. And as these were going away, Jesus began to speak to the multitude about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you see out there? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But you did not go out to see a prophet. Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Good morning, church family. Well, as you're turning with me to uh, Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 11, um, think about what we just sang. We, we know, those of us who are following Jesus, we know the sweetness of trusting in him, don't we? But isn't it true that we also know what it is to cry out to him for grace to trust him more. I mean, it, it seems to be that among the redeemed, uh, the, the strength of faith ebbs and flows. Now, praise God, the strength of the great object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, changes not. Amen? Um, but, but fallen people that we are... Um, this saving faith that God gives to us resides in uh, these bodies of ours uh, that are so prone to weakness, so much so that Monday's faith isn't always the same as Sunday's faith. Have you noticed that? And this morning, we turn to Matthew 11, and we find that uh, th those of us who sometimes deal, you know, struggle with spiritual doubts uh, are actually in good company. John the Baptist, um, imprisoned by the wicked king Herod, um, sends two of his disciples, Luke tells us in his gospel there were two of them, sends two disciples to Jesus and really asks a, a startling question, I think, in, in verse 3 of Matthew 11. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for someone else? That's astounding to me that this question comes from John the Baptist. Um, 
John is the one chosen by God to be the forerunner of the Messiah, as the passage that was just read to us says. Uh, John the Baptist is the one, you remember reading this, who, who leaped in the womb of his mother Elizabeth uh, when he was in the presence of Christ, yet in the womb of Mary. So I'm thinking John knew who Jesus was. John is the one who lived in the wilderness, eating locusts and, and wild honey, wearing uh, the, the rough, uh, you know, simple clothing of, of a prophet, uh, living in austerity, and, and he was confidently calling God's people to repentance, to prepare their hearts for the coming king, Jesus. And he was so unwavering in his mission, John uh, baptized you know, countless multitudes uh, in his short ministry. Uh, John even baptized Jesus himself. The, the scripture says didn't want to, but, but, but Jesus compelled him to do so and very likely heard um, uh, the, the voice of the Father from heaven you know, with respect to Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Um, it was John, you remember, who, who pointed one day at Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm thinking John knew who Jesus was. And, and yet, uh, here in the text, um, we see that a man like John the Baptist, you know, ha having done all that he's done, fulfilling prophecy in, in the doing of all that he had done, um, nonetheless is, is sending uh, two of his own uh, to Jesus, uh, basically asking, are, are, are you sure you're the one who is to come? Shall we look for someone else? I wonder if there may be some here this morning kicking that idea around. Shall we look for someone else? We're still looking for something else. This is really the reality of the frailty of faith at times residing in people like us who are prone to weakness. Um, faith has its ebb and flow. And um, it, th this is common to all disciples, and, and just for the sake of clarification before we move any further into the passage, so we're not really starting yet, in case you're curious. Um, I, I'm not referring to the doubt that comes from a heart of just settled unbelief, rebellious doubt, God-hating doubt, that sort of thing. I'm talking about, the text is talking about the kind of doubt that creeps into the minds of true disciples, God's own people on their worst days. The, the, the Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief days. It, it, it seems to me that, that these doubts come to some of us when we're, when we're wearied, uh, when we're worried, um, weakened by the difficulties of, of, of swimming upstream in a world that hates Jesus. And it's not particularly difficult to, to sit in this room as you all are on your three-hour sermon chairs, by the way, 
very comfortable chairs and 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 think in terms of of trusting in jesus but but the thing of it is matthew says john john isn't in in church on a sunday he's in prison and and he's been in prison for some time uh, and he's going to be in prison until the day he dies which is rapidly approaching and in this state of isolation uh, fatigue discouragement unmet expectations, misunderstanding the promises of God in Scripture, all of that, um, John sends his men to Jesus, you know, um, are, 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 you sure you're, are you sure you're really the one? Because um, it sure doesn't look like we thought it would. And, and you just have to ask yourself, and, and you talk to yourselves anyway, you know you do, so just ask good questions, right? Why, why is this in my Bible? Or, or, or you might be thinking, well, Matt, what's Matthew up to here? Led of the Holy Spirit. Why tarnish the otherwise spotless record of John the Baptist? Well, it, it, the answer is actually fairly simple. God... Uh, wants us to know that even Christ's closest followers experience spiritual doubts. That happens. And, and we don't talk about it that much because it's not churchy, right? And yet here it is in our Bible straight up. And we're not asked to pretend this is not so, uh, though some of us are good at at pretending so. We, we don't discuss our spiritual doubts um, we, we, as often as we ought to. More on that later. But, but here Jesus in, in Matthew 11 is showing us a better way than just silence and gutting it out when it comes to confronting uh, the doubts that come uh, to those who have saving faith and yet are enduring a period of, of, of weakness. So here's John the Baptist then. You with me? Here's John the Baptist, uh, no longer free to roam around Palestine, uh, calling sinners to repentance. He's, he's no longer drawing huge crowds. Uh, he's now very much alone. Uh, he, he's been imprisoned by, by Herod, this, this, this puppet king uh, the, of the Roman uh, province of, of Galilee. And Herod, you might remember, uh, was a... Um, What's the theological term? Dirtbag. Um, it came from a long line of dirtbags. I mean, the Herods kind of spread like a brad rash, that, you know, throughout the area. And this particular Herod um, um, has um, God's chosen forerunner of the Messiah in prison, unable to do, in John's thinking, what God himself had, had called him to do. Anyone here ever have a strong sense that you're supposed to be doing something for the Lord only to be perplexed that for now God doesn't have you doing that thing? And, and you wonder about that, don't you? Turns out that makes you normal. And you may be abnormal in other ways, but that, but that makes you normal, right? Um, Spurgeon says this, he says, it seems to be a law of nature that the strongest men should have the worst fits of weakness. <laughs> you, you, you think of Elijah um, in, in the pages of, of Scripture 
you know, running from Jezebel. Um, you, you think of Martin Luther from, from the pages of history. Um, the same man who nailed the, you know, his 95 theses on the, the door of that church in Wittenberg, you know, launching the Protestant Reformation. How's that for a resume, right? Uh, and yet it was Luther who at times um, uh, spoke of, of feeling as if God had abandoned him. And, and, and doubting his own mission. And you say, well, how, how is that possible? Well, the, many are the doubters' sources. All of that stuff that I mentioned earlier with respect to John. You know, isolation, physical weakness, sickness, you know, unmet expectations, um, difficult and confusing circumstances. Um, what, what God's providence has allowed and therefore ordained isn't what we thought was going to be happening. All of those things. The, the list could go on and on. Um, John is dealing with all of this. But let me just address um, um, a little bit of a tension that exists in the text, just so, and you can discuss it um, over lunch or after the missions report from our Togo team. Don't argue about it, though. Just, just discuss it. But, but, but I, it occurs to me that are, are we really to believe that John the Baptist himself needs this reassurance about Jesus' identity? Or, or is John sending these disciples to Jesus because he knows they need this assurance about Jesus' identity? He knows that these men need to stop following him. I mean, he's in prison now anyway. But, but he's not the Messiah. Jesus is the promised king. It's time for these men to start following Jesus. This Jesus is who he says he is. And guys, you cannot live on my faith in him. You need him yourselves. You go to Jesus. Remember, John is the one who said right before his imprisonment with respect to Jesus, he said, he must increase, I must decrease. And some, but not all, of John's disciples left him and, and began following Jesus, the scripture says. In other words, John knew he was not the bridegroom. He was delighted to be the friend of the bridegroom. I tend to think we read in Matthew 11 of the, of the doubt among John's remaining disciples, not, not so much John himself. Turns out it doesn't matter. What, what matters here. Is, is what we're meant to do if it really is true that, that, that even the closest followers of Jesus can experience these seasons of weakness and doubt. What, what are we to do with such doubts? And, and we know the sources of them, you know, fallen people that we are. Um, what are the solutions? Notice in the text that the doubters are sent directly and personally to Jesus themselves. And, and I urge you to pay attention at this point, if you haven't been so far, because um, we're going in a direction now. They're, they're sent to Jesus themselves. Um, those of you who have a tendency to live off of someone else's faith, um, someone else's opinion of the Bible, you guys care if this is practical for a minute? Um, someone else's doctrinal distinctives, 
You never really sort it out in your own heart where God stands on that. But you know all about what other people think about that. I urge you to pay attention. At, at some point, you've got to go to Jesus yourself. Because the thing of it is, is you and I are not meant to live off of what John MacArthur thinks about this and, and what David Jeremiah says about that and, and what John Piper or Jeff Durbin or whoever else says about that other thing. At some, those are really wonderful teachers who are gifts to the church who help us tremendously. So don't misunderstand me. Misunderstand me. I'm just saying at some point you have to take this, that, and the other thing to Jesus yourself. Are you hearing this? We're not even meant to live off the time-tested thoughts of the old dead guys that I quote. Um, you know, Jonathan Edwards, John Owen, uh, Augustine, you know, just the, the, the heroes of, uh, who, who help us understand Scripture. Uh, tremendous gifts to the church, but at the end of the day, you read those guys and, 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 and women, and what do they say? They say, hey, you should go to Jesus yourself. You should run to Jesus, too. John the Baptist is now doing this for his disciples. You know, it's, it's, it's as if he's saying, look, guys, I, I want you to be able to sing Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, how I've proved him or an or. You're going to have to follow Jesus yourselves. So I just ask you, are you following Jesus yourself? Are you in a place where you've heard what so-and-so thinks about such-and-such -such with respect to Jesus, but it's not really settled in your own heart? We'll, we'll come back to that. Notice with me how Jesus responds to his people's doubts. I love this. He, he doesn't commend them in their doubting, these, these men who come to him, but, but he doesn't condemn them either. Don't, don't miss that. Jesus meets his disciples in their weakness and strengthens them. Verse four, verse 4 and 5. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Remember when we were looking at the miracles of Matthew 8 and 9, um, we, we kept, or at least I said it and nobody disagreed, so we'll just go with it. Um, we kept saying that, you know, Matthew is very deliberately choosing the miracles of, of Jesus, many miracles uh, to report on. Uh, so we would not only understand that Jesus is God who works miracles, but that we would understand that Jesus has all of the authority and all of the sufficiency uh, to, to deal with our far deeper ailment, the, the ailment of our soul. Jesus did not come primarily to heal bodies, though he did that. He came, we read this somewhere, didn't we? Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He came to heal souls, to, to save souls. So that, so that the Christian is one, again, look at verses 4 and 5. The Christian is one uh, whose blind eyes have been opened to see their great need for forgiveness from God. Do you see that? You say, I've heard that. 
My parents have seen that. But, but the thing is, is they can't see it for you. Have you seen that? And the Christian, you're, you're still looking at the text. Um, God has given her ears to hear the truth of God in the gospel. This Jesus, who is God, has been born into humanity for the purpose of living out the righteousness of God that you are failing to live out. Me too. And he went to that cross with that perfect life in humanity, and he shed his blood, the only blood that atones for your sin and my sin. And his body was placed in a tomb, but he didn't stay there. He's risen. He rose again. He's defeated death, our Jesus. Have you heard this? Have your ears been opened to hear it? And he offers all who come to him a share in this victory over sin and sin's death. And the thing of it is, friends, is no one else can hear that savingly for you at some point you got to go to Jesus yourself and what happens to such people who have have run to God's remedy his anointed king his Christ well again keep keep looking at at the text here the uh, we're now able to walk um, the, the, the narrow way, the, the, the constricted way that leads to life. We, we've gone through the, the, the narrow gate, the gate that's as narrow as the cross of Jesus, right? And then says verse 5, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Not only is the leprosy of our sin uh, removed, uh, Jesus is not uh, repulsed by us. He, he's moved toward us. We saw that in, in Matthew 9. And the thing of it is, is no one sees this need. No one has ears to hear of the sufficiency of this Savior, this Jesus, uh, without being poor in spirit. Turns out that's a gift from God. So that's the poor in spirit who have the gospel preached to them. And, and what is Jesus doing for John's disciples? He's, he's, sort of, he's painting a picture with, with, with different parts of prophecy from, from Isaiah uh, and saying to them, do, do you see what God is doing? Do you see the scriptures coming to life right in front of your very eyes? Or are you, are you still looking for someone else? Now, to their credit, you still listening? Yep. To their credit, these men, their very question suggests that they are, they are looking to scripture. Uh, in terms of their measure of Jesus. Um, the one who is to come, as in verse 3, is, is a, a messianic reference, obviously, from, from their Bible, from their Old Testament. Uh, Genesis 49.10, for example, says this, the, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, uh, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So all the way back in Genesis, God's people um, looked for a promised coming king who would jack up their enemies and establish a rule, a kingdom of righteousness on the earth. And John's men 
expected that. They, they were not wrong in that sense. It's just that they were, um, it wasn't happening the way they thought it would. This is not how they expected it to happen. John the Baptist came warning people of judgment. Jesus came speaking not only of judgment, but also of grace and forgiveness and mercy from God. Enablement from God to live the life that he's created his image bearers to live. But again, this king, this Jesus, at present in Matthew 11, isn't meeting a lot of people's um, inadequately informed expectations. And it's when God is not meeting some of our preconceived reasonings um, that we're attacked by these, these nagging doubts. That's what Jesus means when he says in verse 6, and, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. How, how many of you know Jesus said and says in Scripture all sorts of stuff that offends people? All sorts of things that shock people. So much so that you, you commonly will hear people say today, well, my Jesus would never do... Well, what do you mean your Jesus? The Jesus who is... The Jesus of the Bible um, says all sorts of stuff that offends people, that trips people up. The verb take offense in, in, in Matthew eleven six simply means to be, to be tripped up by Jesus. If, if you have the NIV, uh, it helps you with this because it, it reads, blessed, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What, what Jesus says at times causes some to stumble. And John Calvin said uh, of this tendency, he says, we must wage war with our offenses. In other words, we're not, we're not meant to pretend they're not there. We're, we're meant to do what we see John directing his disciples to do. We're, we're to, to run to Jesus ourselves. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I, I, I'm done reading what so-and-so thinks about such-and-such because I've found that there's just no substitute for you teaching my heart. There's no substitute for the Holy Spirit ministering to my confused thinking right now to set me straight. And, and notice that what Jesus does with their question from Scripture. Are you guys still listening? Notice what he does with their question from Scripture. He turns these men right back to Scripture for their answer. I'm thinking we're meant to learn from this. He sends them to Isaiah's prophecy. Then the eyes of the blind will be open. Uh, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. In other words, they're, they're going to begin to see exactly what their Bibles tell them they will see when Messiah comes. So let me just suggest to you by way of kind of summarizing these solutions to doubt. We're, we're meant to go to Jesus ourselves and then we're meant to go to the scriptures ourselves. Not meaning we don't need help, but just remembering that the help is not, the subst is not a substitute for running to the word of God. 
and being taught of the Holy Spirit of God. And then notice that Jesus sends these men back to John. Why? So that together, so that together, uh, they will encourage one another with their findings. Uh, just to, to borrow Calvin's um, terminology, they're, they're, they're going to wage war with, with their doubts together. Those of you who tend to isolate when you're enduring a season of, of weakness of faith, let me just urge you to, to pay heed to this. We need other disciples who are also disciplined in running to Jesus themselves and running to his word as a primary step um, so that we can be encouraged in, in our own doubts. Remember um, John Bunyan's story, Pilgrim's Progress, and, and how many of us in this room, I wonder, know all about spending some time in Doubting Castle. Remember that from, from, from the story and, you know, the, the, the doubts can kind of wall you up um, in a season of discouragement, in, in a season of depression, in, in a season of despair. And so this, the scandal is not finding yourself there. The scandal is, not do, is doing what these disciples might have been tempted to do with their question, shall we look for someone else? Because this isn't going the way we thought it would go. Let me give you some examples. Um, how many young people leave home and they begin listening to the claims of the world when it comes to things like gay marriage, when it, when it comes to things like gender roles for men and women? I'm talking about God's blueprint for humanity. Um, whether the gospel is really to do more with, with social justice or, or, or is it to do primarily with God's justice in dealing with sinful man. Um, suddenly, uh, that young person perhaps takes offense at Jesus because Jesus says all sorts of stuff about those things that the world doesn't want to hear. And they begin to be stumbled by the claims of Jesus. How many of us know those who have been scandalized by the sins of other Christians? And, and, and just on, on the basis of, of seeing the, the, the seeming contradiction in the lives of some of God's people, uh, all of a sudden doubt creeps in because the, it, the profession of faith doesn't match the, the reality. And they begin to be stumbled by the claims of of Jesus. How, how many of, of us, do you suppose, might from time to time shrink back in our witness for the Lord, per, perhaps even with, with family on a, on a, during a holiday, say Thanksgiving, for example, um, b- because there is this awkward elephant in the room call to repentance and surrender to a king uh, that, that, that puts a crimp in the party for some people. We, all, we, we know what it is to be, to be stumbled, you know, to, to know what it is when people are offended by Jesus. So the person maybe asks herself, you know, where, where do I find the Christianity that doesn't offend anybody? 
Do you think you can look in Christendom today and see a whole bunch of churches trying to find the Christianity that doesn't offend anybody? Turns out there isn't one. Or in effect, they're asking, shall we, shall we look for someone else? Well, we don't, we don't want to go there. What, what, what are the solutions to all of this? Again, you go to Jesus personally, you listen to his word attentively, and you stay with his people habitually. I, I, won't, I won't trouble you with the details of it, but I've shared with you all before that I had um, just part of my testimony is a season of being a prodigal. And I, I don't recommend that to anyone. I've done that, so you can learn from it. Um, but but I, th- I think the, the, the first and dumbest thing I did to, in beginning that season, I just left the company of God's people. Stay in the herd. Do you, shall we end with encouragement? Is that okay? All right, let's do that. Just, just notice in, in closing here, sort of, um, in, in, in verse 7, what, what Jesus does, this is amazing to me. Now, as these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. I mean, Herod was the softy, right? But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you, one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And just in case anybody in the crowds had caught wind that, that John, the, the, the radical preacher, John the Baptist, was wavering in his faith in Jesus, Jesus affirms the ministry of John the Baptist. He says, there's not been, a, there's not been one greater among the Old Testament prophets than, than John. Um, so Jesus affirms and, and, and he holds on to his own despite their doubts. I, I pray you are encouraged by this. We, we, we sometimes sing about that. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. How many of you are glad this morning that your salvation does not depend upon how you feel about the strength of your faith? You're, you're saved on the basis of the strength of your Savior, not your feelings about it. Paul to Timothy says this, before his own execution, Paul writes these words to Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Faithless, not meaning apostasy, but just weakness in faith. Christ holds us fast. Saving faith is a gift from God, amen? Once it's given to us, We're his on the basis of what? On the basis of him holding on to us. Peter, what is it? First Peter 1 says that we're kept, our salvation is kept by the power of God for us. But, But this saving faith does reside in fallen men and women like us whose bodies get frail and sick 
uh, whose minds are prone to worry and fear, at least the people in the first service, um, you know, prolonged difficulties like what John is experiencing um, explain some of that. But, But here's our security. Jesus never disowns his own. How wonderful that the Holy Spirit led Matthew to record this seeming blemish in the record of John the Baptist so that we might understand that he's actually a human being prone to weaknesses just like we are. Some of you may have wondered why I suggested that you spend a little bit of time in Isaiah 42, at least part of it, um, last week. And I, I, I did it for this reason. Isaiah prophesies of the suffering servant, the king who is coming. Um, and, and John and his men initially did not anticipate that part of Jesus' ministry, apparently. That's what their question is all about. If the king is here, why doesn't he just get on with establishing the kingdom? Um, and, and God, through Isaiah, says what of his servant? He says, a crushed reed he will not break, and a fainting, faintly burning wick he will not extinguish. And you think, well, that, that sounds monstrous. Who's, who's, the, who's the crushed reed? Who's the bruised reed? You are sometimes. I am sometimes. I mean, who, who's, the, who's the, the candle wick that's just kind of barely smoldering? Or there's just a little wimpy flame of, of faith there sometimes. And what's Jesus going to do about that? Blow it out? No, no. He will fan that flame of faith and make it stronger. Think about what he said to his his first followers. Jesus said this to Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat. But I have prayed earnestly for you that your faith may not fail. It faltered, but it didn't fail. And you... Once you have returned, strengthen your brothers. And that's exactly what happened, isn't it? Saving faith may at times falter, but it will not ultimately fail. Let me just end with this. Are you, are you in a season of weakness? Are, are you in a season where you have doubts? I want to encourage you, before you reach for somebody else's thoughts about whatever it is, run to Jesus yourself and say to him, Lord, I believe I'm yours, but would you help my unbelief? I'd I'd sure like to have grace to trust you more. And then you run to the word of God because he's not going to speak to you in a cloud formation. Or, 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 or on the basis of which way the tree is bending in the wind. He's going to speak to you through his word. He's going to speak to you through his word. And you're meant to listen intently, as I am. And for heaven's sake, let's agree to stay in the herd. Because we need other disciples who are doing the same things to come alongside us in our times of weakness. And we need to be ready to come alongside them in their seasons of weakness. Amen? All right, let's pray.
Father, we thank you so much for uh, this, this wonderful glimpse into um, the reality of, of what happens with your servants sometimes. Lord, we just, we just are reminded that we don't live on the mountaintop as, as we would like to. But Lord, you take us through the valleys as well. And, and we, t- we do at times experience this, this not only the flow, but, but the ebb of, of trust in you. And so, Lord, we pray believing that you ordain these seasons to make us stronger, to, to build in us the discipline of relying upon you as we run to you and as we listen to you and as we stay with and minister to others among your people. Help us with this, Lord, we pray. Lord, help us that we might be brighter reflections of you in our community, that we might be genuine in that way. And Lord, at the end of it all, we ask that you would help us so that you, you would be glorified in your church. And we pray that